This is The Guardian. Today, the fallout from Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you really wanted to know what politicians were saying when they're not on camera, when they're not dodging awkward interview questions, the answers may well be in their WhatsApps. Their messages never destined for public view. Tens of thousands of leaked WhatsApps to and from the then health secretary at the height of the COVID pandemic. In the past week, extraordinarily, we have all had access to the messages sent by Matt Hancock, a man who, during the worst period of the pandemic, was one of the most powerful people in this country. The coronavirus pandemic continues to grow. Yesterday, the Prime Minister announced the most radical steps yet to slow the spread of this virus. And these steps are not requests. They are rules who, as health secretary, was helping to set the rules on who got access to tests and to vaccines, on whether we could travel or go to work or see our family or friends. And so everybody has a responsibility to follow those rules and, where possible, to stay at home. And in over 100,000 WhatsApp messages that have been leaked by Isabel Oakeshott, a political journalist... It's appeared that government ministers and the public health experts advising them during that time were often in conflict. Messages from April 2020 appear to show Matt Hancock rejected advice to test all residents going into English care homes. That cabinet ministers may have made decisions for the public that were as much about their own political ambitions as they were about our safety. He tells Mr Osborne he was struggling to get his target of 100,000 tests per day. Mr Osborne then agrees to a front-page splash to help fill the thousands of spare testing slots. For Oakshot, it's a massive scoop. This is about the millions of people, every one of us in this country, that were adversely affected by the catastrophic decisions to lock down this country repeatedly. Hancock has called it a massive betrayal. Matt Hancock gave messages, gave, chose to give messages to a journalist. Naive doesn't kind of do justice to it. It's a massive evidence of poor judgment, isn't it? I think Isabel is a terrific journalist. She's not a very good friend. And Oakshot has implied that she's got many more damning revelations to come about the government. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, what should we learn from Hancock's leaked messages? Aubrey Allegretti, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian, and so, of course, you've been 
pouring over all these WhatsApp messages that Matt Hancock has sent that have been published by The Telegraph. What are the main things that they've revealed? There's been a whole host of information about the way that ministers and officials talk to each other, which really raised quite serious questions about how government policy was formulated and the way that these lockdowns were both introduced and then enforced. So the first bombshell revelation that the Telegraph used to open this set of lockdown files, as they called it, was an exchange about care home testing. From the start, we've worked incredibly hard to throw that protective ring around our care homes. It was said that Professor Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, had suggested that everyone who was moving into a care home be tested. But the health secretary, Matt Hancock, suggested instead that there was only capacity for people who were moving from hospitals into care homes could be tested, i.e. that people who were moving into care homes from the community couldn't or shouldn't be tested. And it wasn't for several months until that was changed. There have been criticism, for example, of the then-Chancellor Rishi Sunat by Matt Hancock, who was saying that his eat-out-to-help-out scheme was helping fuel the virus's spread in certain intervention areas. And there was concerns being raised with workplace safety by both teachers and teaching unions. And there's this exchange where Matt Hancock said... What a bunch of absolute asses the teaching unions are. Mr Williamson then replied, I know, they really, really do just hate work. Mr Hancock replied with two laughing face emojis and a bullseye. There was also some quite embarrassing exchanges about him and the Cabinet Secretary, Simon Case, making light of people having to spend thousands of pounds and spend up to two weeks in hotel quarantine. And then there was also the fascinating exchanges where we saw how initially he tried to come up with ways to make the affair that he had with his aide and partner, Gina Colodangelo, fit within the rules at a time when we were told he'd done the right thing, he'd fallen on his sword and resigned swiftly. It appears that he really tried to wriggle out of that one. Then there were other things like Matt Hancock talking about trying to frighten the pants off the public. We've discovered a new, more contagious virus, a variant that is spreading at a dangerous rate. Which will certainly cause concern among those who think that there was too much kind of scaremongering during COVID and not enough entrusting the public, giving them information and letting them make their own choices. And then also other things like calling the vaccines are Kate Bingham wacky. So uh, it's quite a lot so far. Yes, some of the content of these WhatsApp messages feels gossipy. Essentially, it's it's politicians jockeying for position, slating each other and sort of conspiring to remove people who they clash with. Has anything about these messages surprised you, either in terms of their content or their style? The long to and fro between Matt Hancock, his special advisor, and his mistress was fascinating to see how they were trying to bend the rules to fit what he'd done. It's so interesting to see the way that his team sought to keep the attention on the appointment of Gino de Colodangelo and the sort of questions about whether or not it was appropriate given they were in a relationship and she was this non-executive director at the Department of Health. They were purposefully trying to keep the spotlight on one issue instead of talking about whether or not he had broken the rule or the laws on social distancing. In one of the messages, he says, I'm not sure there's much news value in that. Yes, exactly. He, he seemed to be taken so 
by surprise by it. And you can really see that in terms of the the graphicness, I suppose, and the immediacy of those messages where they seem so overwhelmed. It feel, it feels to me like they hadn't considered what the repercussions of what they were doing might be. I've been to see the Prime Minister to resign as Secretary of State for Health and Social Care. I understand the enormous sacrifices that everybody in this country has made, that you have made. And, and that will just speak to the attack that was levied at lots of politicians, including Matt Hancock, by opposition parties, which was, is one rule for us, another for them. And they just didn't think that they themselves should be following the rules. And you can see in the messages some of the tensions between Hancock and some of the top scientists who were advising him on lockdown protocol. Was that surprising? Matt Hancock seemed to be suggesting that one of them, I think Jeremy Farrer, should resign or sort of be kept quiet or shut up or got rid of in some way because there were concerns raised. And that will again speak to fears about the fact that there wasn't open scrutiny of the scientific advice that was being given. Have you ever had a WhatsApp from Matt Hancock? <laughs> I haven't, although his press person has been very active over the last few months, not least during I'm a Celebrity. All politicians are known, and it, me in particular, for mm. like being very in a very sort of strict way of being, uh-huh. which is just not actually how we are. OK. How would you say you were? Uh, more human than that. Well, you're a brave man. We were treated to forwarded tweets and Instagram comments of people praising him and saying how much they got to know him through his being on television. But yes, over the last few weeks as well, they've certainly had their work cut out for them. Let's talk then about how The Telegraph got hold of these messages. They had been passed them on by Isabel Oakshot, who's a political journalist. Why did she have access to them? So it's an absolutely fascinating backstory, this. Essentially, she helped Matt Hancock write his memoirs. They were called The Pandemic Diaries, and they were part of a bid by him to rehabilitate his political career, released around the same time that he'd just come off I'm a Celebrity So she was the journalist who was chosen to work with him and as part of that is said to have been given this trove of around 100,000 WhatsApps. Well, Matt Hancock clearly trusted her. Why? What's her reputation like in Westminster? It was a very curious choice. Isabel Oakeshott is a long-standing journalist in Westminster. She worked for the Sunday Times for a very long time and she does have a good relationship with a lot of MPs. But the question everybody is asking is, why did he trust her, given she has form when it comes to kind of burning sources? The first example of this goes back many, many years. And it was when she played a part in sending Vicky Price to jail for perjury. The Sunday Times printed this story, but in, as she put it, nailing her husband, Vicky Price had herself admitted breaking the law because Vicky Price had taken the rap for her partner, Chris Hune, and got points on her licence instead of his. And at the time, he was a cabinet minister. Exactly, yes. So it was a really impactful story, but people looked at that and worried that uh, she hadn't done her utmost to protect her sources. Do you have any contact with her now? 
The reason I don't have any contact with her is because once the police came, became involved, clearly I couldn't in any way be talking to her. Um, and the other thing was that as soon as we published our story, and every word of that story was approved by Vicky Price, mm. she cut off all contact with me. There are other things about her sort of journalism career that have left question marks. So, for example, she was the author of the famous Call Me Dave biography, which was supposed to be about David Cameron and included the infamous anecdote about uh, him and a pig, which had only everyone in stitches. But there are lots of questions over the veracity of the sourcing of that story. And there were also questions about how she handled Aaron Banks, one of the so-called bad boys of Brexit, because she, having after written a book about him, then came out several years later and said that she had evidence that he was much closer um, and interconnected with uh, Russia than had previously been disclosed. So, I mean, it really is a pattern of behaviour, isn't it? Her reputation certainly precedes her, but it's quite clear that she values very highly this notion of getting a giant scoop that has everybody in Westminster talking for days or even weeks. I haven't hit the headlines. You've hit the headlines, Isabel. Well, maybe if Let's... you broke some stories, you would. <laughs> Well, I've broken a couple of stories this week since you mentioned oh, it, but don't they? worry about that. I, I'm not going to go into that because I haven't hit that. This is not me being no, interviewed on this. Right. Most of the stories I've just mentioned were ones that really did cause a stir. And the Telegraph has huge amounts of ammunition in this latest trove of WhatsApps from Matt Hancock. Oakshot is very openly a lockdown sceptic, but she was writing this book on behalf of somebody who was trying to enforce lockdowns. Why did she agree to do that? I suppose from her perspective, she probably would have just jumped at the chance to do a historic piece of work, which was compiling these diaries. Now, she may have thought in the back of her mind, I never know what I'm going to uncover. And it's certainly true that the COVID inquiry to which all of this kind of evidence is meant to be being submitted is not expected to report anytime soon. It's questionable whether we would have ever seen these text exchanges, let alone sort of summaries of them or kind of findings which reference them. So she would have probably appreciated having that unparalleled insight and was said to have made a big deal out of making sure that her and Matt Hancock trusted each other so that she could get access to the most intimate of messages, which clearly she has. She's been doing loads of interviews in the past week on radio, TV, podcasts, how has she justified her decision to leak the messages? So she argues that essentially these messages would have never seen the light of day. And she also is putting a lot of pressure on the COVID inquiry to produce a report probably quicker than it otherwise would be. She has called for it to make some sort of interim findings before the next general election. Now, you sort of start to wonder then what her agenda is and why she's starting to kind of put pressure on the inquiry to do something that strays very into political territory. Well, it just so happens that her partner, Richard Tice, whom she also presents with on Talk TV, is the leader of Reform UK, which is by far and away the most unapologetically anti-lockdown party. Do you think she has achieved that aim of exposing the sort of flawed, unjustified basis, she might say, for lockdown measures? She certainly has. I think the problem will be that people will accuse her and The Telegraph of only releasing sort of selective snippets. And there are some cases where, obviously, 
they've released full transcripts so you can see the context and the conversation exists solely within the confines of that WhatsApp chat or group. But the care homes policy was a, was a good one for where actually Matt Hancock had a very good rebuttal, which was there was emails and meetings that came off the back of the messages, which you don't see, which explain how we got to this point and show that I didn't override Chris Whitty's advice about testing people going into care homes. The Telegraph's editors are understandably very pleased that Oakshot came to them with the story. They've splashed it on their front pages for the past week and they've made uh, this slick video for their website with their associate editor, Camilla Tomini, justifying why it's in the public interest. The Telegraph has taken the decision to publish Matt Hancock and other ministers and their aides' messages. Before a news organisation puts out something like this, You'd expect them to try and contact the person at the centre of it to give them a chance to give their perspective on what happened. But it seems like, actually, this took Hancock by surprise. Yes. For for months, I think we've known that the Telegraph were working on an investigation. And there were various kind of rumours bandied about and sort of hushed uh, kind of conversations between journalists in the corridors in Westminster who are working in the lobby. But it seems as though they managed to keep most of it under wraps until only a few hours before. When did he know that you'd done this? Late last night. Wow, when everybody else did? Yeah. Matt Hancock was said to have been taken completely by surprise, and I think Isabel Oakshot said that he had sent her a message uh, sort of after publication I suppose, very concerned about what else was to come. Now, he has taken a sort of vow of silence since. So there's been one initial statement which just claims that there's been this big breach of privacy that the messages show very sort of partial uh, extracts and don't tell the full story. But of course, the story is just going to go on and on. So we can expect the most sort of damaging accusations, particularly about those who are still serving in government, to come. Coming up, How will these messages impact the inquiry that's going on into how the government managed COVID-19? Aubrey, there's an independent inquiry going on now into how the government handled the pandemic, as you mentioned. When are we likely to hear the verdict of that? So it's completely independent and the government has tried to sort of wash its hands of this by saying that they have no control over the timetable of the inquiry. Now, it's going to be a UK-wide one, which is probably going to sort of slow down the process. Now, it's obviously important that these things take time, but inquiries, as we know, can drag on for more than a decade. And given the sort of the depth of the impact of COVID on so many people's lives and in so many different ways... It's hard to see how it can produce any kind of meaningful report in the next few years. Although, of course, there are people who are arguing, well, we need to be prepared for the next potential pandemic. We've been warned that the the risk of another one is, is always greater, but the likelihood is it certainly won't be before the next general election. And Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, has said that it should be brought forward, hasn't he? Yes, that's right. At the heart of this is every family who made enormous sacrifices for the good of the country or who tragically lost loved ones. The country deserves better. 
the COVID inquiry has already cost the taxpayer £85 million and hasn't heard from a single government minister yet. So can the Prime Minister assure the House no more delays that the inquiry will have whatever support it needs to report by the end of this year? And he is obviously, I suppose, concerned that lots of the families of people who lost loved ones during COVID want answers and want to know exactly where to point the finger of blame. There are certainly questions ranging all the way back to January, even December 2019, about the government's preparedness, about Boris Johnson attending COBRA meetings, about pandemic preparedness and the number of PPE supplies stocked, stretching all the way through to other conversations about how PPE contracts were awarded, the decisions taken, uh, whether or not there was any scientific basis for those. There are so many unanswered questions. Would these WhatsApp messages have formed part of the evidence in the inquiry anyway? They should have, but we don't know exactly what has and hasn't been submitted. And I'm wondering what kind of format they would have appeared in the verdict of the inquiry. We wouldn't have seen them in this level of detail, I presume. Certainly not. And I mean, one of the under-discussed issues is the use of self-deleting messages by a lot of people during the pandemic. So those in government who essentially turned their WhatsApp so that any messages they sent automatically deleted after seven days. That means that huge swathes of records will be lost, lots of policy positions and arguments with journalists, um, debates within government aren't recorded in the same way that every single decision or uh, contribution was made, noted on cabinet papers, and then could be either retrieved by the relevant authorities or ultimately released by the National Archive 30 years later. Well, Oakshot has said that one of her main reasons for releasing these messages is that she believes that the inquiry could be a colossal whitewash, which the chair of that inquiry, Lady Hallett, has, has strongly rebuked. How will this leak affect the inquiry, do you think? It will certainly increase pressure on the inquiry to gather as much information as possible from sources that probably would be reluctant to share with it. Now, of course, it's kind of helpful if you're in a group chat scenario, you only need one person's phone to get access to all of those messages. But if they all bandy together, then it's very hard to see how it could get access to the most embarrassing exchanges. And then at the same time... We have Boris Johnson's behaviour being re-examined, don't we? The the committee investigating whether he misled Parliament over the Partygate scandal has said that it would have been obvious to him when people in his party were breaking pandemic rules. Do you think that these WhatsApp messages will affect his reputation at all? Do they feed into that? It certainly helped drag the Partygate issue back into the spotlight, which I think some Tories fear is a really toxic place to be. They know how much it damaged them last year when Boris Johnson was sort of fighting for survival. And the idea of just putting Partygate back in the headlines is not going to help the Conservatives' poll ratings. Now, there is certainly the potential for further embarrassment and a lot of WhatsApp exchanges, which we won't have seen yet, have been passed to the committee which is investigating whether Boris Johnson misled Parliament. They have certainly shown um, some other kind of significant revelations about the parties, about the attempts to 
sort of cover them up or fit them within the rules somehow and the difficulties that they found at the time with trying to do that. So there's clearly a treasure trove awaiting that committee of WhatsApp messages, only some of which we've seen so far. And for Matt Hancock, I mean, he's trying to forge this new career for himself as a TV personality. You know, he's been on I'm a Celebrity and he had the whip suspended because of that. He's now an independent MP, but he's he is going to be going on SAS, Who Dares Wins. You know, as he's looking to be forging this new image, how damaging would you say these messages are for him? I think... He attempted when he went into the jungle on I'm a Celebrity to ask for forgiveness. It was, it was really, it was really tough. Because you messed up. Yeah, no, I did. I messed up and I fessed up, right? Yeah, I I resigned and it's no no excuse, but I fell in love, right? And And I sort of feel like all of these messages are only going to undermine his case that he just fell in love, that it was some sort of headwind that he couldn't control because they show in the aftermath how much they tried to cover it up by moving attention away from the social distancing breach to the appointment of his lover to this role in the department and at taxpayers' expense. All of that is not going to endear him more to the public. The, the question is, I suppose, has he cut through to a, a different section of the public and the electorate by being on I'm a Celebrity than those who would otherwise follow the twists and turns of leaked WhatsApp. I've got various friends that I use as a barometer for when news cuts through and very few of them had followed the WhatsApp exchanges and leaks and that's why the Telegraph is staggering its release of these documents to have the biggest impact possible. These WhatsApps show that there was a real big difference of opinion within government and between government ministers and scientists about how people should be behaving and how long to enforce uh, lockdowns for. Do you think that reading those messages will have made people think, well, why should I trust, you know, if if I'm ever told to make a change to my behaviour, whether it's as part of another pandemic or for some other reason, why should I trust politicians? All of this will have seriously dented what was already quite diminished public trust in the government, especially when it comes to future scenarios that might play out. We we were told this might be a once in a century event, but it's not impossible that it happens again within our lifetimes. And there will be plenty of people that sort of bear the scars of surviving COVID. And remember, for example, Dominic Cummings going to Barnard Castle who remember Matt Hancock and his aide in this sort of clinched embrace splashed across the front of the papers. And all of that will have already dented public trust. These exchanges would certainly make that even worse. And to politicians themselves, it just shows clearly that even if they're using an encrypted messaging service, there is a trail. How might it change the way that politicians communicate with each other and and perhaps how they'll communicate with journalists? It will certainly send a shiver up the spine of all politicians. Having said that, this was a quite specific leak from a very specific source. Everybody knows how it came about. And I think they're thinking to themselves, I wouldn't be silly enough to give somebody my WhatsApp messages that could self-detonate underneath me. 
What's the single most important thing you think we've learned from these messages? I feel like the worst is yet to come. If you're the Telegraph, you're going to be saving the nuclear option, which Isabel Oakeshott has made sort of veiled references to having got before. You're going to be saving that for detonation further down the line. The Telegraph, having invested hundreds of hours and drafted in people that worked, for example, on the MPs' expenses scandal, they'll know exactly how to play this. And I feel like the most interesting revelations are yet to come. Aubrey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Aubrey Allegretti. He and the rest of the Westminster team will be keeping you updated on these leaks and all the other political drama at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams and Rose de la Rabiti. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives – Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... 
We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.